You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I want to say thank you so much for listening and tuning in. Today, I'm going to talk about some pathologies, and the pathologies that I'm talking about specifically today are going to be more about um, increasing or things that are in the way of activities of daily living, so kind of more orthopedic in nature, but then we'll follow up with another episode that talks about other pathologies that are more like um, the big main killers uh, in our population, so heart disease and cancer and strokes and diabetes and other things like that. So I want to talk about all of those things and just to give you an understanding of what they are. So today I'm going to talk more about kind of activities of daily living and how pain can get in the way of movement and that can then lead to some of the other pathologies that become more, um, increase your morbidity and mortality rate. So uh, when I say activities of daily living, it refers to a set of common everyday tasks that you can perform and it requires self-care and independent living. So if that self-care and independent living is in place and you can take care of yourself and you can you can function, then you have these activities of daily living. And then um, those can go more in depth into things like, well, am I able to play the sports that I like to play? And those are my activities of daily living. But what we're looking at more right now is just in terms of independent living and self-care. So you could think about this sometimes in terms of aging population populations, though we all know that there are many people in aging populations that have incredible uh, activity, um, kind of threshold that they can live, move, function in. And there are people that are quite young that have a very difficult time with uh, self-care and independent living. So um, I wouldn't pigeonhole that, but understand that this could lead into a conversation about what it means uh, for the aging population. And then certainly the baby boomer population, which uh, is getting older and they're getting to a space where, um, you know, things can be more challenging orthopedically for them and then more contraindications and uh, morbidity and morbi- uh, mortality factors start to increase with age. But I got to shout out to the boomers um, that have done such a good job for the most part in terms of self-care and being very active and being a group that is showing that, uh, you know, um, I would say that populations before them it wasn't quite as popular to actually exercise, but uh, when they were in uh, formative years and uh, they're moving into the workplace, there's a term that came out called aerobics that did not exist, that was created by the Cooper Institute, and uh, a lot of study about exercise started coming out, and and they took to it quite well, and so I applaud them for that. We're going to talk about activities of daily living, and for fairly active population, ADLs can include the ability um, to do needed or desired activities without fear of pain. So if that's the case, I've I'm, I'm lost. <laughs> I get some musculoskeletal pain, but we're talking about musculoskeletal pain such as arthritis, and there are two kind of forms of arthritis that we'll look at, so osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, and I want you to know what those are and what the differences are. And then injury from bone density issues, uh, back pain, 
and uh, you know these kind of orthopedic issues that can get in the way and start to increase risk factors for other pathologies. So I want to read this to you. It's kind of a relatively lengthy quote, but stay with me. This is uh, James Campbell, MD, and professor of neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. So I'm going to read this quote. Consumers have often had low expectations for pain treatment, but that is changing as a large portion of our population, the baby boom generation, moves into years where chronic pain from such sources as arthritis and low back pain is so very common. Having terrible pain is not good for people. It influences all aspects of life. Mood, concentration, motor performance, sleep, social relations. New evidence indicates that pain affects the immune system such that cancer cells appear to grow faster when they are in pain. Being a stoic and putting up with severe pain is not necessarily good for patients. Now, that quote I thought was so powerful on so many levels. Uh, when you look at uh, the pain influences mood and concentration and motor performance and sleep and social relationships, but you also look that the indications that pain affects the immune system and cancer cells appear to proliferate when there is pain present. That is eye-opening. And so um, I, I don't think our job, I know our job as personal trainers, it, it's not to mitigate pain. It's not. But there are people who don't see us and um, it, because they are in pain, and that lack of physical activity can also lead to increased pathologies in other ways. So... I think that it's it's important to point it out, and also because we can help with movement, and if we can help people move better, oftentimes that will help with pain and help to mitigate that pain. So musculoskeletal issues may range from general joint aches and pains to fused vertebrae, hip, knee replacements, along with osteo and rheumatoid arthritis. So let's talk about osteoarthritis. Here we go. Uh, OA or osteoarthrosis or degenerative joint disease. So if you've ever heard somebody say, oh, I have a degenerative joint disease, that sounds so scary, right? But it's, it's arthritis, that's what arthritis is. So osteoarthritis is caused by the breakdown of cartilage, which is the cushion between joints, and it causes the bone to rub against each other, and that creates stiffness and pain. There's also an interesting word I want to share with you. It's called ebernation, and that's the conversion of bone into a hard ivory-like mass occurring at the site of the cartilage erosion. And so what happens is that these bones rub together, and, and they, they do more than ossify, like they're already bones, right? But, but now it becomes um, really shiny and hard, and then from that, little pieces start to poke out of the edges, and those are called osteophytes. And osteophytes are also known as bone spurs. You've probably heard that before, and they're bony projections that grow from around the joint margins. And often a result of ebernation, which is a major cause of OA pain. And you can imagine the osteophytes, are these pointy little pieces of bone, are sticking out and they're pushing into the synovium, they're poking into different areas of the body and soft tissue that are creating inflammation, and so you have this constant inflammation that could be going on. And you got this term called spinal stenosis, which is the narrowing of the space between the opening of the spinal nerves. 
And I think a lot of times when people think about back issues, they think about the, the protrusion or extrusion and different things of the disc in between the vertebrae that sit on top of each other. But a lot of times the issue are coming because there are little foramina, like little, little holes at the nerves from the spine, right? So you've got the, the brain and you get the spinal cord and you've got all the branches of the nerves coming out of the spinal cord. And if that, that foramina narrows and it can put pressure against the nerve and that can create pain as well. So OA affects about 21 million Americans and most often exhibited in the hands, the knees, hips, and let's throw shoulders in there as well. So um, primary OA, primary osteoarthritis is generally associated with aging and the wear and tear of life. The older you are, the more likely you're gonna have some degree of primary osteoarthritis. However, not everyone gets it, not even the very old, and that's because OA is a disease and not part of the normal aging process. Now, secondary osteoarthritis, I can speak to personally, and it develops relatively early in life, typically 10 or more years after a specific cause, such as an injury or obesity. And so mine uh, was from uh, a knee injury from tumbling. So that led to a couple surgeries and then the development of what's called secondary OA. And other causes may be hereditary and muscle weakness and imbalance. What about rheumatoid arthritis then? So we've, we've heard that there's osteoarthritis and there's rheumatoid arthritis, but What's the difference between those two? And so RA, rheumatoid arthritis, is idiopathic. And if you've ever heard the term idiopathic, pathic is pathology, right? And idio is idiot. And that's where that word comes from. And it just means I don't know what causes the pathology. So if you ever speak with a doctor and the doctor comes out and they said, oh, I want to let you know uh, your loved one has an idiopathic um, illness, and that just means nobody knows what that illness came from, why it started, where it comes from. So it's idiopathic. It's an inflammatory autoimmune disease where the synovium, which is the thin membrane that aligns the joints, gets attacked by your body's immune system. So your immune system sees uh, its own tissues, which is what an autoimmune disease is, sees its own tissues as something uh, foreign and begins to attack it. So idiopathic, we just don't know and autoimmune. We're attacking ourselves um, because your own tissues are seen as a bacteria or a virus or a fungus. Um, so ACSM in, um, in their third edition of exercise management for persons with chronic disease and disability says improvement in cardiovascular status, neuromuscular fitness, flexibility, and general health status, improved aerobic capacity, endurance, strength, and flexibility are associated with improved function decreased joint swelling and pain, and increased social and physical activities in daily life, and reduced depression and anxiety. So what's that saying? Moving and exercising actually is very indicated for people with rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is always bilateral. That means if you get RA in your knee, then you're going to have it in your other knee. If you get it in your fingers on your right hand, you're going to have it in your fingers in your left hand. It's always bilateral. Hands, there's something called the pips. So the pips, and uh, those are the interphalangeal joints. So these are the dips, and these are the pips. The dips are the very end, and the pips are in the middle of the fingers. 
and um, the MP joints, which is the metatarsal phalangeal joints, which are kind of what we think about as the knuckles in the hands. And that's where they tend to take place. You also get this ulnar deviation of the fingers. So if you ever see people with their hands and they look like their fingers are fanning out towards their ulnar side, then they are likely, uh, they likely have um, rheumatoid arthritis. And then those pips and the MP joints, those are the ones where you see the large knuckles. And the large knuckles that you see are oftentimes um, a, a quite a telltale sign of rheumatoid arthritis. Wrist, elbows, knees, ankles, and metatarsophalangeals uh, are, tend to be what gets um, most common with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. So be careful with working with your RA clients and definitely be careful if there's a flare-up because a flare-up means that they're in very severe acute pain and exercise would not be indicated during that time. So it's good to bring their their inflammation down and then they can start moving again. And then the movement will help. Also we say this, the research is pretty clear with the osteoarthritis as well, that even though people say, I don't want to work out, I don't want to do this, it hurts my knee. Exercise hurts my knee. The research is really wonderfully clear that actually exercise and movement for the joints affected with osteoarthritis also helps to minimize pain. So it's better to move it than to not move it. I think our concern is that my knee hurts and I don't want to move, but when you move, your knee won't hurt as much. So uh, it is important. So here are the things to think about when you're working with clients with arthritis, with RA or OA. You got to do an assessment and you have to begin and progress slowly. And I know that that a lot of people are in a, in a high-intensity world right now, but we got to get people moving, and we can't scare them off, uh, especially if they have some of these pathologies. So avoid rapid or repetitive movements and limit impacts of the affected joints, right? So um, you don't want to be boxing uh, a lot with people that, that have uh, affected joints in their elbows and shoulders, and you want to be careful about jumping and landing, for people who are affected in the lower extremity or the low back. So a health and fitness practitioner should monitor the progress of the client and assess the effects of the exercise program on joint pain. So that just means let's do this exercise and you got to track it and you got to get back to me because if we're doing something and that flares you up, I know that we're not going to do that anymore. So we got to take that off the table. Um, Treadmill walking is good, stationary bikes, rowers, low impact, steps, aerobics, uh, these are all things that, you know, are mild, and you can do it with, a, with low impact, minimal impact, three to five days a week, just keep moving, and you can start at stage one on that, that continuum we have of cardio, but people, they, they can be progressed to stage two and even stage three, and if they need to be regressed, certainly regress them, but you just want to start slowly, but you don't want to keep them bound at something where they can certainly move past and not be affected by. So your assessments, do your pushing and pulling assessment, overhead squat, single leg squat assessment, and uh, if those things are tolerated, if they're not tolerated, that is the answer to the assessment, right? So you have somebody do an overhead squat, and it's fine, then they do one squat on a single leg and it hurts, guess what? That's the answer to the assessment. Now stop that assessment and don't do it again. Maybe down the road, if they can do a single leg squat in the future, that's the answer to your reassessment, which is we were able to progress you. Um, flexibility, if SMR is tolerated, 
or you know myofascial techniques can be done like foam rolling if it's tolerated then do it um static stretching is good active stretching is good resistance training um you know you can go higher repetitions but i i would say you know be careful with overuse of anything so minimize your sets maybe keep it at one to two sets and then check right check in with your clients and avoid heavy lifting lifting high repetitions and reactive and plyo training especially in the beginning until you know what they're capable of um all right cool so let's talk about let's move let's move on to the next one we're gonna talk about osteoporosis and osteopenia and then after we talk about these two we'll wrap up with you know the the bone uh the bone things that we're um trying to address today so osteopenia is the decrease in the calcification or bone density uh, as well as reduced bone mass. Now, osteoporosis, so osteopenia is like the stepping stone for osteoporosis. And then osteoporosis is a condition in which there's a decrease in bone mass density, bone mass and density, as well as an increase in the space between bones resulting in um, uh, fragility and increased porousness. So it's most prevalent in postmenopausal women. That's who it's most prevalent in. But it's not uncommon in others, including men. So we're not going to take men out of the list here. And it commonly affects the femoral neck and the lumbar vertebrae. So we say a femoral neck. So the femur is a really long bone, but once you get kind of to the top of the bone, it it makes a shape almost um, almost like a cane. And then the ball of the the femur goes into the hip joint. So that that little section that goes from the femur to that ball is called the neck. And that's when, that's where a lot of people get hurt. And we've actually got some research that shows um, some, some concerning things to address. So the risk of hip fracture doubles every five years in postmenopausal women uh, older than 50. Affects more than 25 million people each year, resulting in 1.5 million hip fractures. Of these 1.5 million, only 20% of patients return to normal functioning status. That's pretty low. Those that, are res uh, those that resistance train have higher bone mineral density than others. And so resistance training is highly indicated, uh, first of all, in the prevention of osteopenia and osteoporosis, but it is helpful in, um, in, in treating it. Um, you're not going to necessarily get more bone mineral density back necessarily, but it can definitely slow the process. Resistance training may only increase that bone mineral density by up to 5%, um, but it's likely ineffective in preventing fractures and since you're already there. So fall prevention rather than strengthening alone is probably more advantageous with a focus on flexibility core and balance training. Also read a, something else interesting about osteoporosis and um, at a certain age, and I can't remember what it was, but once a, a hip fracture or a break takes place at a certain age, then that, that rate of... Uh, other pathologies starting to to kick in skyrockets and i wish i had that that statistic in front of me and so when we talk in one of the next episodes about uh, other pathologies like heart disease and things like that then you understand why pain is such a pain because it gets in the way 
of your movement. And so you see this increased sedentary lifestyle in an older population or an injured population. And that then leads to the proliferation of other physiological issues. All right, so what is the programming like? All right, what are some of the protocols for osteoporosis? So uh, I think treadmill with handrail support, so for people who are certainly having issues and fear of falling, two to five days a week is super important. Uh, intensity, I mean, let's go in stage one, beginning phases, but certainly you can be progressed up to stage two, and uh, we can work on increasing VO2 max. Duration, like 30 to 60 minutes, but you may need to put this in bouts, right? So it may need to be, think about it like a, an eight to 10 minute bout of exercise and then a solid break and a solid rest. People who are doing this on their own might want to say, hey, let's exercise. Just focus on exercising for 10 minutes, eight minutes, um, and then, you know, break for an hour, have some, uh, you know, uh, time to yourself and then come back. But repeat that number so you can get six out of the day for 60 minutes if you're doing it for 10 minutes. Um, I know that that may sound like a lot, but for some people, that's a lot better than committing to straight up 60 minutes of exercise. And you want to do the same assessment similar anyway, like a push and a pull assessment, overhead squat assessment, and then a sit to chair and stand assessment might be something that's beneficial because it gives you an idea of where they are with their neuromuscular control, their balance, their core. Um, and then with flexibility, static stretching is good. Active stretching is good. Resistance training one to three sets, eight, 20 repetitions, and two to three times a week. Phases one and two should really be mastered before moving anywhere farther in the OPT model. So get the OPT model, phases one um, and two before considering going ahead. And then special considerations. Um, you gotta you start slow, you just monitor everything and um, look at their postural control and exercises need to pre be progressed if possible towards free sitting and standing so they're not uh, they don't have back support and then hopefully not butt support they are able to get um, neuromuscular control of their body and do some more standing exercises uh, careful and avoid spinal loading so maybe like the back squats you want to be careful with just because loading the spine for uh, people with osteoporosis could be com in incredibly challenging uh, and potentially contraindicated. And then look at ensuring normal breathing. And that just means um, controlling your breath and avoiding things like the valsalva maneuver, which is <laughs> holding your breath and closing everything off. So uh, anyway, this this I find very interesting. Um, uh, I think focusing on this is going to give you a little bit of light. And hopefully if you're not entirely sure what osteoporosis was or um, osteopenia, rheumatoid arthritis, and osteoarthritis, it gives you a better idea of what these pathologies are and get a, uh, an idea at least of um, what it is, how to have a conversation about it understanding clients that may have issues that you're not that familiar with. And, uh, and it may prompt you to look a little bit deeper into how do I connect with my clients who have these pathologies. And, um, and when you can engage with them on that level, because I don't know if you've ever been around, uh, let, let's just say older people talking, and uh, sometimes it's, it's like a one-upper game of who's got the most pain. So I'd, I'd love for any of the clients that you have say i used to be in a lot of pain but then i started exercising and now i can't play your one upper game in terms of orthopedic pain but i can play your one upper game in terms of uh, how many push-ups can you get so 
anyway, hope you enjoyed it. Um, be sure to, to tag me if you're, uh, you're listening, you're going to repost anything. It's at dr.rickritchie on Instagram, and then hit us up with, at uh, NASM Fitness as well. And hopefully we'll tune in next week. Thanks.